Hello, and welcome to Makers.dev episode number 35. Chris, what's been going on? We've been gone for, what, three weeks? Three weeks? This is, this is our longest gap ever. Where have we been? Yeah, um, we were both on vacation at different times, and then we had a technical uh, hiccup last week. And so we have a lost episode. Um, but that's okay. I've, I've been doing well. Uh, I've been doing a lot of Kaggle. I have started a job, which is something I don't think I've said in the last three weeks because I started it like two weeks ago. Um, but the job is only for two months until I start my master's, and that has been going well. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been doing. What have you been up to? I'm, I'm proud of us that uh, we haven't had technical hiccups that have lost an entire episode before. And this one we could have published audio issues that just sort of made it painful to, to listen to, but... Amazing. You know, 35 episodes. We've only lost one of them. That's, that's great. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling really good about that. Uh, and also, the, the uh, getting the job, I'd love to talk more about. That's something that came up on Twitter. Someone asked about, you know, who uh, who's having the most fun as an entrepreneur. And thinking through it, I'm like, I think it's you and me. We're, we're just doing whatever we want every day. And uh, you, uh, I think of, well... As a as a as a form of like digging deeper, I think you've I think you've made more choices recently that have traded a little bit more of that freedom for a little bit more structure to be able to dive deeper into this specific area of AI. To you, you've you've made a little bit more trade offs to be able to do more AI stuff and less just like undifferentiated whatever you want. And I'm looking to do more of that, uh, which I'd love to talk more about uh, later in the episode. This I've had several things come together like that. Uh, so that's one of the things I want to talk about. I also would love to tell you a story about something that's happened to me over the last few days. Uh, All right. I'm actually kind of glad that the last episode got lost because I remember feeling during that episode like, man, my energy level when I'm having this podcast with Chris, usually usually rocking like a nine or 10, usually feeling great. Conversation just flowing, feel excited by all these ideas, feels awesome. And in that episode, I was like, man, it feels like I'm dragging, like, I, there's just nothing I'm excited about that I want to talk about. It's, I feel like I'm a, I'm a three or a four and Chris is saying things and I'm just like, not like those are kind of interesting, but I'm not really engaging in them. I remember thinking about those earlier and thinking it was really exciting. And about a day after that, I, I, one of the things we talked about in the last episode was like, I, I wanted to, to be focusing more on grit and like, just put my nose to the grindstone and just like, I know the work to be done and I just want to push forward and do it. Uh, small side note, if we have any listeners who are just like diehard fans who have to have this episode, uh, DM one of us on Twitter. We will, we will send a link to you. Uh, it's a little painful to listen to it. We, we talked about stuff. Uh, it, so, it is. I'll, I'll say you said that the audio was a little messed up and I was like, maybe I can fix it in post or whatever, but it, it, my audio was messed up in a way that had me repeating words and I couldn't even listen to it like a minute of it. I could <laughs> I couldn't even try to fix it. It was pretty bad. <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. Uh, but if, if you have to listen to it you, you can it's something that exists uh so the next day i'm like all right here we go grit i'm gonna just force myself to do stuff and i downloaded the grit book and i downloaded a, a book by jocko willick about like ah just do stuff and just do it and like i got no motivation to do anything and then stuff started piling up like i had laundry that i needed to do that i wasn't doing and there were dishes and you know email and just stuff that i needed to do was just going in. i had zero motivation to do any of it i just didn't want to do anything and the next day, I started feeling kind of, like, tired. And I uh, had partially dislocated my shoulder in New York. And uh, it had been getting progressively better. And then it got worse on that day. It was a little more sore. And so were the joints in my hands, which is, like, unrelated, I thought. And so were the joints in my other arm. And I was like, huh, that's weird. 
And one of the things that had happened in New York was I got bitten by a bunch of mosquitoes. Um, and so I, I still had some mosquito bites that I, I have like a really big histaminergic response to these. And I was itching a bunch of them. Uh, and one of them on my leg was like particularly bad and felt like really itchy. So I, I was itching that and being like, huh, that's kind of weird. Uh, and I looked at it and it, it was like, there was like a, a bigger rash around that one than, than there usually is. Uh, so ah, that's very strange. And then uh, about a day after that, uh, midway through the day, I got a headache that got started off kind of bad and got progressively worse. And that's unusual for me. I don't usually get headaches, but I had had matcha tea that morning and caffeine because I was experimenting with caffeine and caffeine uh, affects me in weird ways. Experimenting, by the way, because of our conversation about ADHD uh, to see like, ah, <laughs> maybe, maybe this is a thing, you know, this is a thing people use to focus. Uh, so it's kind of your fault that the story happened. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, and then that night, it just got, like, really bad. Like, full body chills. I just felt cold. And I wrapped myself in blankets and put on, like, a winter coat that I'm still wearing now. Uh, and was, like, sweating and felt cold at the same time. And I was thinking, like, man, is this the flu? But I don't feel nauseous. And I know it's not COVID. A lot of this feels like COVID, but I've had COVID. And there's none of, like, the respiratory stuff. I can breathe perfectly fine. Uh, and, you know, I've also got this headache with it. Like, what's what's going on? And then the next morning I wake up, and I'm thinking, hold on, wait wait a second. I was in New York in the Northeast uh, at my dad's property where there are a bunch of ticks. And I'm feeling all these symptoms that are, like, flu-like, including achy joints and fever and, uh, and all this other stuff. And hold on, wait a second. What, what was that rash on my leg? Let me look at that again. <laughs> does that look like a bullseye? So I show Sarah the rash on my leg, and I ask her, "Does this look a, like a bullseye?" And she's like, "Christian, that absolutely looks like a, that looks like a textbook bullseye." And I sent a picture of it to my dad and my sister and my brother-in-law, who are all either physicians or training to be physicians. And uh, I ask them, and they're like, "Yes, you have Lyme disease." Oh no. <laughs> I would not recommend Lyme disease to anyone on the planet. I have had COVID. I have had the flu. Uh, Lyme disease is worse. It's it's terrible. <laughs> it, I felt like I got hit by a truck. I like couldn't move. I couldn't stand up. Every joint in my body was achy. Oh, it was terrible. The good news is, catching it early, I would have gotten infected like in the last two or three weeks. It would have been sometime in the week that I was in New York. Uh, if you treat it early in stage one, these are all stage one symptoms, all the things I'm describing. Perfectly fine. You, you get some doxycyclone, a basic, you need a prescription for it, but it's an a, a antibiotic. And you take it for like 10 days and it's done. You're fine. If you don't catch it, if like you didn't have the rash or you don't remember that you were around ticks or... It, it, you know, you, you get tested for the antibodies for uh, the, the spirochete that causes Lyme disease and you come up negative for it and you think it's something else, you think it's just like a flu or something else, uh, and you don't treat it as if it's Lyme disease, you can go into stage two, which is now like neurologic things and memory loss. And then if, you know, that's been going on for a couple of years, then you can go into stage three, which is just like debilitating as a person. Uh, Avril Lavigne, I think, uh, got this. Mm. And, you know, it, it just like ruined her career. That's why she was out of the music business for like a decade. Uh, and there's support groups of people on Facebook who have had this and just like, you know, it, it destroys you as a person. Uh, so as a lesson to uh, any of our listeners, 
if you think you may have, uh, know someone uh, suffering from symptoms of Lyme disease, uh, and they match any of these descriptions, very important that you take some doxycycline. I recommend 100 milligrams twice a day for 12 days, uh, because otherwise, <laughs> this you is not could medical advice. destroy your life. <laughs> this is also not medical advice. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, very important to talk to doctors. Uh, so I'm tying this in now with the podcast, which is Makers Out There, talking about making stuff. I'm very focused on making stuff, and I want to highlight, like, my focus initially was, I'm trying to optimize making stuff. I'm trying to optimize, like, grits. I'm trying to optimize pushing stuff forward. Uh, the problem seems to be that just, like, my output is not high enough, and I need to motivate myself more with caffeine or a book with an ex-Navy SEAL yelling at me, telling me how important it is to do stuff. And you know what's way more effective than that? It's treating a literal bacterial infection with little spiral bacteria squirming their way into my cells with some antibiotics over the next nine days. Uh, and that's the most effective thing I could have done for my productivity. So sometimes the best solution is not the most obvious one. Uh, that's my little story about <laughs> the adventure I went through this last week. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that reminds me of the people like the, the best, uh, the most um, productive advice that you could probably give someone is to get some sleep and eat some real food and yeah, yeah and like that's this is similar you know take care of your physical needs uh because yeah otherwise you you're useless so yeah. i'm glad that you caught that I, I had a friend who got rocky mountain spotted fever and didn't have any of the Ooh. like she didn't know she got bitten by a tick or anything um it comes from the same thing and um didn't realize it for quite a while because of that the, like they they randomly figured out it was a tick so yeah scary stuff i suppose very spooky um i'm glad i figured it out though uh and we talk a lot about on this podcast how our self is our biggest asset so doing stuff like you know taking a taking a health week uh is investing in your business that's yes uh make sure that you're sleeping make sure that you're eating well make sure that you're taking care of any health stuff and that's that's what's gonna drive revenue forward all right, on to other topics. I want to hear about some AI stuff. Uh, yeah. give me, lay, lay some stuff down on me. D teach me some new things about uh, GPS. What, what you got going on? <laughs> yeah, so there's nine days left in the competition. Um, we, we're coming up on it. I know. Uh, we're currently in fifth. We were in second, and people started getting better, and we have not had experiments that work very well recently, So, but we're still trying. We have nine days left. We'll see what happens. Um, plus, there's always a shakeup at the end. There's always... So in AI, you have there's something called overfitting, which means you um, you try with, with your training data, you apply your your algorithm so that they fit your training data really well. And if you do that too much, you overfit to the training data. And then when the test data comes, you have overfit to the training data, which means you get a worse score on the test. So mm -hmm. there's always a shakeup at the end. So even though we're in fifth, we could end up in you know seventh or ninth or mm -hmm. first or second. Like you know, just there's always a shakeup. So we'll see. And we still have some ideas. Um, I feel like so, sort of like I did before, like, uh, there's all these things that should be working and aren't quite working. And so all the advice we talked about a few episodes ago, like what happens when nothing is really working, like you think it should. Um, and I'm just, I'm just keep on going. That's, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, there are still things that should be working. And so I'm trying those. Um, but I mean, it's, it's been made hard recently because I have this job now. So for the next two months, I'm working at a company called hidden door. Um, and, I have been enjoying that. That's takes up about 40 hours a week, like a normal job. Uh, and, um, yeah, I can talk about what all they do or more about the GPS stuff, but yeah, that's what I've been up to the last couple weeks. 
I would love to talk more about Hidden Door, uh, but I have a, a few more questions about the GPS. You mentioned in the last episode, or the lost episode, as <laughs> I'm going to call it, uh, That's right. that you merged with another team, which I didn't know oh, was yeah. a thing that you could do. Uh, tell me more about that. What what went behind that? Yeah, so um, I forgot this was in the lost episode. Yeah, so I merged with a team. Um, so you start solo. Everyone starts solo. And then you can merge with other teams. And Kaggle, the Kaggle rules for all competitions are you can only talk about at, when the competition is running. You can only talk about it with other people if you do it on the Kaggle forums. Um, and by say talk about it, that means sharing code, sharing data, um, like, you know, detailed stuff um, mm-hmm. about it. So, yeah, you can only do that on the Kaggle forum so everyone can see it or in a team. And you join teams by, you can message each other through Kaggle and say, you know, I see your score is really good. And I saw this post you had on the forum about whatever, do you want to team up? And that's just what happened. So there was a team of three university students from Japan. So they don't uh, really speak English. They've been using a deep L, which I hadn't heard about, but it's a translating program um, to to communicate with me in English. And um, I don't speak any Japanese, obviously. And so uh, we've been talking just on Slack through, through that and um yeah they had i had posted something on the forum that i had uh, reached the baseline at least so i'd solved as the gps positioning as well as the baseline that they gave us and they hadn't yet and so they said do you want to merge and i said yes um yeah so now it's the four of us trying to uh trying to beat other teams or other solo people um uh yeah it's been really interesting you know i've uh, talking with people across the world that I never would have met otherwise uh, trying to collaborate on this thing has been a really neat exercise um, and really positive overall so far so you're living in the future this is not only are you solving this incredible problem of like making GPS better with machine learning this this cutting edge technique for solving general problems like this you're collaborating with people across the world who don't speak the same language as you and it sounds like the translation app you're using might be uh, powered by ML. And yeah. they're, you said college students? Yeah, they're university students. Yeah. Amazing. Like, you're, you you can both collaborate. Like, how, how incredible is that, that we've set up a structure where if you're aligned towards the same goal, it doesn't really matter geographically where you are. It doesn't really matter what nationality you are or what language you speak. As long as you're connected to the same place, you can you can team up and form communities and, and push forward on the same goal and like you and them in in a lot of ways are speaking the same language because you're, you're speaking in the same machine learning language uh incredible this is so cool um how did you decide that it was worthwhile to partner up with them what what are they bringing to the table that you uh couldn't do on your own with you and your new big beefy graphics card that's right. Um, at the time, they were ahead of me in the rankings, and so that helps. <laughs> so oh. they they were ahead of me, but saw that, he, uh, and I was just a few spots behind them. And but they saw that I had something they didn't have, and so that helped a lot. Mm. Um, I have had other people who are way down in the rankings. Like if if when I was near the top, like I was first and second, I had a lot of people reach out like randomly, and you know, especially if you're a Kaggle like novice, you have no history on Kaggle and you're way down in the rankings, it's really hard to team up with anybody because, mm. you know, unless you know them beforehand, there's no reason for them to team up. Mm. Um, but they were ahead of me in the rankings. We had all four of us had been on the same previous competition. So I recognized them from the leaderboard of the previous competition. Um, and so so I knew them from there. And then I'd also see, see them in the forums. And so when you participate in the forums, you're much more likely to be able to team up be, because people like recognize that you actually know what you're talking about or at least are willing to engage and stuff um 
so yeah so that's how we teamed up um yep so cool um so hold on you it sounds like you you teamed up with them just because they were ahead of you they they reached out to you to team up and they recognized something that you were doing that they weren't doing and I guess you both respected each other from knowing that you you had uh, past rankings in a in a previous competition. What what were you doing that they didn't have? What was oh so they yeah so they had posted in the forums also. So I was doing a lot of GPS research and trying to match or beat the baseline with just straight GPS algorithms. They were okay. focused on the post processing, which I had done some too. That's why I was high in the rankings. But I recognized in the forum. Uh, uh, basically that they had a more advanced post-processing pipeline. So I knew I had the pre-processing step better than they had, and I knew that they had a better post-processing step. And so together with my pre-processing oh. and their post-processing together, that just overall is better. Fantastic. How funny that your advantage is like, <laughs> it sounds like it was that textbook you bought on uh, on GPS. <laughs> yes. that yep. You just understand GPS better than uh, probably anyone in that competition. Do you think anyone else like would have bought a textbook on GPS? to? So I think the first the person in first place right now i think is a university professor maybe uh it's it's hard to tell and i think he's a some kind of gps expert so he he had like almost no he he didn't submit for a long time and then he just jumped to first and so i think he is a gps expert who just yeah yeah uh well that's cheating if that's just your entire career uh (laughs) it's, it's uh no experts allowed just people who are really good at solving general problems uh nice how fun i i love this new you know, I, I could imagine in the next one, like if you enjoy collaborating with this, this group of people, now you can sort of specialize in. Okay, you do this part, and I'll do this part, and uh, I can see you forming like a little international team of super ML people that can crush any competition on Kaggle. Uh, <laughs> be would be fun. Uh, neat. I'd love to talk with you about Hidden Door. Uh, mm-hmm. What what is Hidden Door? What what are they doing? Yeah, so Hidden Door is a company who. Um, they are applying machine learning, so AI, to text-based games for tweens. So, like, age 10 to 14, something like, something like that. And so, for sufficiently nerdy people, this is they are building a D&D-style multiplayer online game uh, where the dungeon master is an AI. So, the idea is an AI will be creating these stories, and then you as a player can submit your actions in the form of sentences. Not that you type, but that the like there's a sentence builder that allows you to create these actions. And then um, the AI synthesizes all that and then produces the next part of the story, basically. And so, as a you know, as a multiplayer team of you know, say four people or something, you can progress through this story that no one else has seen before ever. It's uh, created by the AI. So, yeah, that's what they're doing. Um, and uh, I'm helping them for the summer. Nice. I'm reminded of uh, Neil Stevenson's book, The Diamond Age. Uh, have you read it? I have not. No. I think I asked you this last week too, but you also had not that. <laughs> I'm just being sassy now. Uh, right. The so uh, in the in the book, the premise of it is uh, it's called the Diamond Age because it's this futuristic world where diamond has become cheap to reproduce, and so like people's windows are made out of diamonds. Anytime you need something transparent, you just make it out of diamond because that's like the hardest substance and. Uh, this book, I think it was made in, uh, written in the, like the late eighties and it predicts all of these technologies like 3d printing and like, uh, drones and like nanotechnology and all the stuff that's, uh, just now coming into the public vernacular. Also self-driving cars. I think we're in there and a bunch of cool, like high tech stuff. Uh, and one of the core, oh, distributed computing also and cloud computing. Like he, he wrote this futuristic world that looks 
really similar to what the world looks like now. And uh, that's one of the central plot points of the book is uh, this tablet device called a primer, a primer uh, that's in the book. It's depicted as this, this big, thick, like uh, illustrated manuscript that looks very mysterious and you open it up and, and the book is like writing itself uh, ahead of you and it can interact with you. And the uh, function of this book is that you give it to a kid and this book will teach them everything they need to know through this one cohesive story. So there's a main character protagonist in the book that resembles the, the young girl reading it. And, uh, oh no, she comes up to this challenge where she has to, you know, figure out this math problem to cross this, uh, lake. And then you as the reader have to solve the math problem to get across. And it's this beautiful story because uh, one of these primers is accidentally given to this very, uh, poor girl who's in this abusive household. And the, the primer is able to like help her escape it because it, it recognizes that she's in this terrible environment and it can like bootstrap her up to have enough resources and to figure out how to get out and then to, to be successful on her own. Beautiful story. I love it. Highly recommend the book. Um, but you realize in the course of reading this, like, oh, it's, it's just like a tablet. It's just a, a tablet computer with really good software in it. And when I first heard about this company, that's where my mind went of like, oh my God, you're building a primer. You're building <laughs> like, uh, yes, you know, you're, you're the, the first thing to do is to figure out a way to make an engaging story to get people engaged in this interactive thing of uh, having like a D and D dungeon master. But then how trivial is that to add to that a layer of, oh, let's teach people math and let's teach people history and let's have, uh, have the AI steer them into like, okay, <laughs> let's teach them calculus by having their players need to solve this calculus problem to go somewhere. I'm not, uh, that that might be too contrived, but uh, I think I think that's a that's an incredible vector platform to be able to uh, deliver educational content through. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Do you do you feel like that's the direction that they're going, or are they focusing more on this as a as a gaming company? What's the vibe that you get from this company? I think it's mostly gaming, um, especially at the beginning and like their long-term vision definitely seems more rooted in gaming than education. Um, but it's all the same things that they're doing right now could apply to an educational game for sure. Yeah. Um, like once you have like the, the platform sort of running and you know, you could make the content kind of directed towards whatever you want. And so, yeah, it's, it's a really neat idea to like have engaging games that also teach you something. Um, I think like lots of people have tried this in the past and there there are always something a little bit off about games that also try to teach you something um and so it'd be really mm. neat if it was somehow you know if an ai could figure out how to weave it into a story in mm. in a nice way that'd be cool um yeah it uh, does feel yeah. contrived and like i'm thinking of like the, the <laughs> freddy fish games or like the jumpstart games that i used to play on my family's first computer the the uh bondi blue imac g3 uh oh i love that machine uh it was bad like they weren't good games <laughs> but uh my parents had strict rules that we could only play educational games so i didn't know that there mm. were better games but then my gosh when i discovered mario kart i was like this is the best thing ever this is so much <laughs> yeah. better than answering math problems uh what an interesting problem i'm not sure i'm not sure how you might solve that um yeah there have been some good ones recently so 
like like on the iPad, we have some for our kids. Um, and there are some good like number, especially like number and letter games and word mm. games um, that feel like games, but you're doing them with letters or numbers. And so like, mm. so like say three, four years old, when you're just recognizing letters and numbers, um, it was, it's been really good for them for those. And so, yeah, maybe. And I remember liking like number crunchers and stuff, even though it was pretty contrived. So I think mm. even if it's a little contrived, you can, you can still do it well. Yeah. Mm. Typing games. I remember really enjoying, and I still do a typing mm test every once in a while and it's kind of fun to see like oh i got a got a high score it feeds my uh competitive a to b part of my brain <laughs> just right, right. oh i'm i'm better than this percentage of people that's cool uh interesting that's a that's a fun problem i'd like to be thinking about especially uh, as i'm gearing up to have kids like what's what does that look like i think ideally you would have just like you know you're having interactions with your kid i think the the in the diamond age they make it clear that like this is not quite as good as just having an attentive parent that's uh parenting you until they have this breakthrough and it, it like gets much better but then you find out well i don't want to spoil it it's i think <laughs> in the real world uh it, it would be just as good if not better to just like be interacting with the child as an adult and coming up with authentic teaching experiences uh and yeah i'm very interested in what a solution to this problem might look like if you if you turned ai to the problem of like how do you educate children in a fun and engaging way that doesn't feel contrived and like feels either like a game or or authentic yeah yeah there's different there's different phases to a kid's development um in the near the beginning this might be a little too early but one of the best things you can do for your kid is like narrate your life (laughs) just like explain Mm. things that you're doing while you're doing them this is like when they're like say two and under um because like you would think like teaching a math, maybe not two years old, but like you think teaching a math, make them good at math. But one of the things that makes them really good is like teaching them all the basic stuff really well early and just giving them a lot of variety early because mm-hmm. then they can get a handle on that. And once they have a handle on that, they can learn the math better, like later um, mm-hmm. if they don't have to catch up with all the basic stuff. And so, yeah. And so some of the best things you can do are like narrate your life as you're with them when they're like under mm-hmm. two, say, and then starting around one or two is just read to them like every single day. Um, and so it's like, I think there's something to be said about all humans, right? Like exposing yourself to a wide variety of things and getting really good at basics is like, that will help you. That's kind of like take, take care of yourself, right? Sleep and eat well. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, you know, expose yourself to a lot of different things. Yeah. Get good at the basics. Um, and then you can get good at the really good, the advanced stuff, I, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Narrating your life while yeah. I agree it would be great for two-year-olds, I think is also very good advice for me. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Keep it in journal is uh, very good advice, and that's uh, specifically the the uh, idea of like talk through things as they're happening. I think is something that my cousin does with his kids. Uh, after the day, I remember you know just having a dialogue with his kids, like, okay, like what did what did we do today? Uh, well, we had fun. Okay, well, what, what did we, where did we go? We went to the zoo. We went to the zoo. Yes, that's right. We and, you know first we went here, and then after that we went here, and then we went to the zoo. And what did we do at the zoo? So animals, uh, yeah, that's right. We saw animals. Wh- which animals did we see? And like trying to yep. make the make the resolution finer and uh, into it and make more of a cohesive narrative. And uh, it was so interesting because you could you could like see this undifferentiated idea of these globs of feelings from the two year old of like, oh, and it, part of it was bad and painful and scary. And uh, yes, okay, it was. Why did that happen? Oh, it was because. You know, I accidentally lifted you over my head and 
uh, bonk <laughs> your head into the thing. And like, that's why it was scary. And uh, the more you can make that more precise and, and refined, that feels like you're okay. Like this is how you bootstrap intelligence. Uh, man, kids are going to be so much fun. Uh, cool. And then yes, good push on. I would like to start journaling again. That would be good for me too. Cause yeah, that's like, it's the same process. It's like, I also need help in digesting the complicated things that happen to me during a day. And maybe I don't necessarily need that, like on the scale of a resolution of a day, I can, I can comprehend a day pretty well, but you know, how, how well am I going to be able to comprehend that on a scale of a week or a month? Uh, which is exactly the sort of problem that I need to be able to solve. If I'm going to uh, diagnose myself with a Lyme disease, like I need to be able to remember, right. Oh, I was just in a place where there are ticks and this is a disease that progresses over several weeks. Uh, that's, that's the sort of problem that, uh, journaling would be very effective for. And then, you know, what sorts of problems am I completely ignoring over the scale of years? If I, if I had better resolution of telling those stories on a, on a much longer time scale, what sort of problems could I be solving that, you know, analogous to how I see the problems of a two-year-old as trivial because they have trouble understanding things that happen to them during a day. I would love to solve problems that would seem trivial on, if I could comprehend my life on the scale of years instead uh that, that would be great i would feel i would feel much more competent as a human yeah yeah it's interesting how many parallels you can draw between two-year-olds and <laughs> adults if you if you try I'm, yeah i'm just a two-year-old with more money <laughs> we're all just two-year-olds <laughs> um i have two more things i would love to talk with you about uh first i'd like to introduce by saying that I was changed in three ways fundamentally from my trip to New York. The first being I partially dislocated my shoulder, uh, otherwise known as a subluxation. The second I found out recently being that I contracted Lyme disease. And the third, <laughs> my soul was touched, which sounds dramatic, <laughs> by renting a Tesla. Uh, I've been talking a lot on the show about how amazing it is that OpenAI, with their Comma 2 device, you can just plug it into a car. You mean Comma AI? Comma AI, yes. Uh, comma AI, and the, the device is the Comma 2, I think. I might have those mixed up. And then it's OpenAI is the software. No, Open Open Pilot. OpenAI is, yeah. Yes, okay. OpenAI is the, the other thing. Open Pilot is the software that Comma AI, the company, installs on their comma two device i think all that was right uh right. i've been amazed by that device it's so cool uh you plug it into a car and it drives itself incredible blew my mind i was so excited about it until i sat in a tesla <laughs> my gosh <laughs> it's it's just it's as amazed as i was by the comma two like i was more amazed than that at tesla stuff it's it's so much better and it's just it just works and it's like so the, the comma two, it's just one camera facing forward. So like it, it can't be a better driver than I could be because I have this peripheral vision and I can like turn my head and everything else. The Tesla has eight cameras mm -hmm. and the one that I was in still had its uh, radar installed, but I think they're shutting right. that off. So, but like yep. it also has radar. Um, and so it was showing me on the, on the screen cars coming up behind me and I would see it on the screen before I saw it behind me. And like, it was aware of it and, and had its little sensors of how close it was making connections with it. Amazing. And my gosh, just like, I felt like I was driving in a spaceship. Oh, Chris, 
these cars are so fast. Oh, they're so fast. I I sat in it and I oh I just I just pushed push the gas a little bit and just oh and it just goes. And then I found myself on an on ramp and I was like, all right, here we go. And I pushed it down almost all the way. I couldn't quite do it all the way. And it just pinned me the back to the back of the seat. And this was a Model Three. This is their baseline model. It wasn't the mm-hmm. performance. It was just like it was just a standard Tesla. And the sound it makes is like. It's not loud. It's just like a whirring of a motor. Oh, I just, I fell in love with this car. And there's so many little things that make sense about it. Um, And part of this is like, I haven't had a car, you know, made in this decade. Uh, So, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that wowed me that maybe shouldn't have wowed me. Like the, like the uh, high beam lights automatically Mm. turn off when a car is coming up on you, uh, which makes so much sense to me. But apparently that's a thing other cars can do too now. And like, you know, you can you can have your uh, windshield wipers on automatic. I thought that was really cool, but that's also apparently just a thing that's standard in cars. Uh, but man, just like the design of it, it's super clean. I felt it, it didn't. It doesn't feel like a car. It feels like it's performing the same job as a car in the jobs to be done framework. But like, it feels fundamentally different. You don't need to take it to a gas station. You don't need to change the oil. You don't need to do any of the standard maintenance. You don't need to wait for it to go sixty miles an hour. It just <laughs> it just goes. It's just going now and it's gone. Uh, and I rented one with the full self driving package, which uh, lets it do some basic things like it will lane change for you, and sometimes it can take on ramps for you, and sometimes it can take your correct exit. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it was a little shaky on that, not not quite there, but it's getting there and I, I think in five years like it's going to be really close to there and uh i did the, the summon feature a few times you can hold the button on your phone and it just like slowly drives to you just like at 0.5 miles an hour it's uh not quite useful but you can freak people out which uh is it worth ten thousand dollars maybe not yet uh <laughs> so i got back from this trip uh having contracted lyme disease but not knowing it yet and with a very sore shoulder with all of my willpower having evaporated on buying a Tesla, I've been holding out for so many years. I'm very proud of myself. Uh, and I'm just like trying to figure out how to justify buying a $50,000 car, <laughs> which is like, oh my gosh, my the most expensive car I've ever bought was uh, 10000 It was a used uh, 2010 Honda Insight. And like, I still have that car. It still works fine. I have another car that I was working on as a project car. Like, I don't need a car this would just be for fun, and I'm just tr- racking my brain trying to figure this out. And then I think, hold on, I rented this from Turo. What if this was an asset? What if this was like a thing that I bought that was making me money? I've been looking at different ways to make money and different types of assets, and was thinking about real estate and uh, other types of things. So I'm running the numbers, and if I'm thinking of this purely in terms of cash flow, the payments on this car at a 2.5% interest rate uh, would be about $600 a month. So say 700 for like, uh, also have to have insurance on it. And we'll say like 800 because, you know, I'm gonna have to get a car wash or whatever else and might have to pay people to like drop the car off or something. And Model 3s are running for like no less than $100 on Turo. A lot of them are running at like 135. Um, but I'd like to get better numbers than that. I'm, I'm scraping all of Turo's database to try to get like a better analysis <laughs> of this. Uh, yes, uh, of course. And yes, of course. I uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking roughly back of the napkin math. Uh, if I'm renting this car out for eight days a month, I'm breaking even and anything on top of that, I'm making a profit. So I'm running it out for about half the month. I'm making about $800 a month. And so now this is interesting because like, this is sort of a baby real estate. Uh, like instead of having a condo or instead of having a duplex, uh, or renting a house out, what if I just had a bunch of cars 
And that's really fun because owning a bunch of Teslas excites me in a way that owning a bunch of houses does not. <laughs> um, and I don't quite know why yet. Uh, this might just be like, you know, I've, I've just been touched by uh, Elon Musk's uh, holy fingers and uh, I'm basking in the wave of this feeling. Uh, but so I, I bought one. <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, in the worst, I bought just like the cheapest one I possibly could, the the baseline Model Three. Uh, I think yeah. it was like forty thousand dollars. And uh, what solidified me in that decision was looking at used ones. Used ones are selling for more than new ones because there's a six week waiting period to buy these. Um, so like if you buy it used, you can get it right now, and it's practically new. They have like less than a thousand miles on it. Yeah. Um. So if I buy this and I realize, oh, actually, this sucks. I don't want to be renting out this car. And actually, you know, the the honeymoon period of uh, driving a Tesla, uh, it's it's basically just a car after all, and I don't really want this. Like, okay, I can sell it and get all my money back. And it was a fun experiment. Uh, the next up, worst case, is like Turo doesn't work out, and I'm not making a lot of money from this, or I don't like something in the process. Uh, it's It's too much hassle to be renting this car out. Uh, okay, well, I've tricked myself into buying a Tesla. Uh, and yes, I'm spending now, you know, $600 a month paying off this car, uh, which feels sort of wasteful. But like, gosh darn it, it makes me so happy. <laughs> and oh, it's, oh, I just, I felt a connection to this car in a way that I've never felt with any car that I've ever driven in my life. Oh my gosh, I just, ah. Uh, so I'm I'm hoping that this uh, is a way for me to uh, on my ever-going quest to like how do I spend money to be making more money? It'd be really cool if this was a way to like okay you know this works really well and I figured out that I can just hire a person to be washing these cars and you know I figure out a place where I can park them and have a little washing and charging station. Let's have ten of them and then ten works really well. Let's have fifty of them. Uh, that'd be really cool and just have them constantly cycling out and then. I'm sort of running a little car rental business on Teslas. Teslas, by the way, perfect car to rent out because GPS on all the time. I have app access. Uh, if they get into a wreck, there's eight cameras all around them. You can see exactly what happened. You can see exactly what the driver was doing. Uh, so I'm optimistic about it. Uh, my Tesla will be delivered sometime either next month or in early September. And I'm excited to see if it actually makes sense economically. And if it doesn't, oh no. I own a Tesla. Uh, what's your hot take on this as a business? Am I merely rationally justifying buying something that I really want? Or does this seem like uh, it might be a viable alternative to real estate investing? So are you rationally justifying it? Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, after, <laughs> right, right. Uh, after hearing you talk about it last uh, week during our lost episode, uh, I was counting down the days until you bought one. <laughs> I, I, I could tell before you could that you were going to buy one. Um, it might have been the next day. I don't remember. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, have, I have done similar calculations. So this is what Tesla sort of promised, actually, during one of their keynotes um elon musk said that you will be able to rent out te your tesla on the the tesla network which they're going yeah, to yeah, create yeah. right but that was after self-driving was a full thing so that your tesla could drive itself from your driveway with no driver to the yep. person picking it up yep. um, and once that's a thing then tesla is going to have their own network and the idea is yeah that your car is now an appreciating asset instead of a depreciating one um i think the math could totally work out uh it might be fine you have to worry about 
certain things that you don't have to with houses like a wreck totals your car yeah. um whereas a house like you only have to worry about that burning down i guess um yeah yeah you're not driving your house so down that's the highway at 60 miles an hour. <laughs> right exactly um and then also that traditionally cars have been depreciating assets which means you know at the end of 10 years they're essentially worthless um, whereas houses only i, I don't want to say only go up in value but they they generally appreciate in value yes. um so that's very different so you, you're you're like profit percentage has to be higher in order to justify it uh but if it's going to be your car anyway and you just want one then yeah totally like like do it and see if it works out and if not then you have a car which which you could probably sell for yeah especially right now during covid you could sell for about as much as you paid for it new um the same thing happened so i have a honda fit which works just fine which is why i don't have a tesla because mm-hmm. my car it's like eight eight or so years old we bought it new and when we bought it, uh, there was just a hurricane in Taiwan, I think, or somewhere, um, wherever they get the parts for it. And so it was actually more expensive to buy a used one for the same reason, because we had to wait for the new one, whereas you could buy the, the used ones um, instantly. And so, yeah, we waited for the new one and we got it new in like 2012 or something. Anyway, it works just fine. So uh, I will not buy, be buying a, uh, a Tesla anytime soon. But yeah, I'm excited for you. I'm excited to see how it turns out. And I'm definitely excited to see if it is an appreciating asset now instead of a depreciating one. Yeah. A few things I want to touch on there. Uh, yeah, the used market is nuts right now. Uh, and I think that's affecting yeah. the traditional rental uh, rental cars, uh, whole whole waves through like every uh, ecosystem in the marketplace uh, from COVID. But uh, yeah, so I, I think that that might be part of what's causing this strange situation where the the used model threes are more than the the new ones uh the model three in particular is like one of the only cars that has ever appreciated in value uh i think just because of this timing and because it's like one of the cheaper teslas and it's a a strange uh market condition that's interesting that you said you said uh, a honda fit you had it was the same sort of situation yeah and they couldn't for like a few months they couldn't get this the right parts because they like a factory was destroyed and so for a few there was a few months right when we bought it where it was actually the used ones were more expensive or about as expensive as the used one or as the new ones okay that's interesting uh you said also uh you had that car and so won't be buying a tesla which is completely reasonable uh <laughs> have you driven a tesla uh no i haven't and i okay. sort of purposely haven't there, there's a Chris, tesla store do not don't do it <laughs> do not there's a Tesla store in the mall near me, and I have not gone in there. Don't go to the mall. <laughs> you don't need to go to a mall. Order stuff on Amazon. Don't yep, even yep. drive by there. Yep. There's, there's nothing There's nothing on that side of town you need. Yep. You could just drive far away from it. Uh, also, now that I don't commute, like we could really honestly probably have one car. Like We have yeah. two cars basically for emergencies now because I don't go anywhere uh, yeah. except for there's, like the store. Um, yeah, That's another thing that... like. I'm, I'm, I still feel divided about this because, you know, it's a car which enables me to drive, but I don't want to be driving. Driving is not, I'm sitting down in a car and it's dangerous yeah. to drive. Like, I want to be minimizing the time I'm driving. One of the happiest periods, several of the happiest periods of my life have coincided with, like, not owning a car and either biking or walking everywhere. Having, living in a place where I could just get everything right around me. And then if I'm biking everywhere, my gosh, it's great because, you know, I'm, I'm getting exercise default daily. And, you know, if I'm running late, okay, I pedal faster and uh, I'm, I'm accomplishing several things at the same time. And, oh my gosh, I, I because of my current living situation, I'm, I'm having to like migrate between three different places around DFW and 
uh biking would be like you know two hours and it, it doesn't quite make sense yeah. uh but in, in the u in the u.s especially it's really really hard to get by without a car yeah 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 and all of texas i guess except for austin austin's very bikeable uh and san antonio but dallas is not a bike friendly city there there might yeah. be a single bike lane in all of dallas <laughs> uh one more point i wanted to bring up uh on this topic and then i, I have a very smooth transition into the next one uh comparing my experience on tour with rental agencies was night and day i felt like a multi-millionaire stepping off the plane and i walk out of my gate and then i got lost for about 15 minutes but let's ignore that for now walk out of my gate and like right outside of my gate is the car waiting for me in the short-term parking lot and because it's a tesla i just unlock it with my phone and then i'm in and then i drive away and it's fully charged and it's clean and compare that to uh my, one of my best friends is a professional magician. Uh, his name is Trig Watson. He uh, was in Dallas yesterday, and uh, I was surprised that he didn't have a rental car like he usually does. And he was like, oh, Christian, it was this whole thing. My luggage was late, and so I was delayed in getting to the rental agency. And then I, I got there, and I was waiting in line for 45 minutes after taking the shuttle, which took another 15 minutes. And then I get to the front of the desk, and they tell me that the uh, reservation that I put in for the car that I'd placed like a month ago uh had to be canceled because they ran out of cars and like what <laughs> you can do that and also you yeah. just wasted an hour of this guy's time like that's not okay but that's uh, that from my childhood of remembering like when my parents used to rent cars from uh that sort of place like yeah that's that's kind of how it goes you you're waiting for the shuttle and it takes forever to get there and you don't know when the next one's gonna be and you're you're like anxiously looking for oh my gosh is this is this the one that takes us here and trying to figure it out and uh then you get there and there's a huge line and then it's this whole thing of like you got to interact with this person and you know maybe they'll tell you that you can't have the car that you want and also they're going to socially pressure you into buying things that you don't want to buy and this one like i didn't talk to a person it was the car was just there and i wasn't worried i was going to get scammed or charged and it's all in the app and like wow let's i want way more of this please and if i could get way more of that with tesla's so much better uh just overall uh, such a such a better experience um all right here's my super smooth transition uh thinking about it. this in yes <laughs> thinking about this uh as a business has like uh, experimenting with other types of businesses like uh thinking much more about real estate thinking about like you know crypto mining like we did a few months ago thinking about uh renting cars out on turo has made me so much more appreciate what a fantastic business model software as a service is mm-hmm. because in thinking through this like i'm having to think so much about like okay i need to buy a tesla and then i need to keep it charged and i have to have insurance on it and i got to keep it updated and i have to be dealing with like loans and financing and after all of that work oh and then you know for every rental i have to be interacting with every person in particular i have to be like sending them a message and get a message back and at the end of that exchange every single rental that someone has for me i'm making like uh i don't know i think roughly four hundred dollars on average probably uh it might be less than that Uh, if, if it's higher value cars it would be it would be more than that uh comparing that to file inbox the SaaS that i've just been horribly neglecting uh that you know that that's making right now i think i think about six thousand dollars a month it's been every time i neglected it the revenue just like slowly glides down uh to be making six thousand dollars a month passively 
spending no effort on this business for months. If I was trying to do that with cars, I'd have to have like 10 Teslas and I would have to have put in an enormous amount of work into like, I got to figure out where these things are parked and I've got to have people who are interacting with the renters and I've got to have a whole system of like people who drive these cars to the airport and, and you know, people who pick them up and I have to have a system of people who wash them and man, like to, to have this system set up in a way where I don't have to do anything would be just an enormous amount of work because you know, one of them is going to get crashed and then there's going to be an insurance filing and uh, I'm, how could I possibly set up a system where I, I wasn't involved in the insurance filing? Um, and same thing, something really similar with real estate, like to, to have enough properties where I'm making $6,000 a month. I think that'd be like half a dozen properties from friends of mine that are in real estate. Like, yeah, there's, there's some other stuff you can do of, you can leverage the amount of money that you have and, uh, you can, you know, you know, they're also paying off your mortgage payment. So that's also sort of, uh, making you money, but that math also works in SAS. If you have a, a higher MRR that increases the value of your company. Um, what this is really solidifying in my mind is like, if my goal is to make more money, like Christian, come on, how many times do you need to learn this lesson? Like SAS is a fantastic way to make money. Like you don't have to do anything. You don't have to work with other people unless they are automating something for you. Unless it's, unless it's like taking things away from your time, you, you can make a fully automated business. Uh, and that's your skill set. You're really good at making software. That's the unfair advantage that you have. Um, but thinking about this in terms of like, uh, okay, this is a business. This is not tied to my identity. This is not a measure of my success as a human. Uh, how, how can I make this a better automated business? Obvious thing to do. I've been like sitting on this pile of customer support emails for months. Uh, that's something that should be automated. And I think I've resisted that for a while because uh, it feels sort of tied to my self-worth of like, well, I should have enough grit to be able to do this. <laughs> uh, and in the past, I think I've felt encumbered by like not feeling like I could justify spending several hundred dollars a month on someone who would be answering those for me, especially if you know I'm only getting a, a couple emails per day. And that mindset has changed now because I'm looking at it now just purely in terms of cash flow. And I think the question is, can I spend money to make more money back? Would spending $600 a month on someone to be answering these emails make me more than $600 a month back as I'm currently running the business? And the answer is like, yes, absolutely. And I used to get tied up in this thought process of like, well, but you could just be doing those. And so you could get the benefit of that without spending the $600. But I've come to know myself well enough that like, no, I won't. <laughs> I'll do that for a couple months, but this is not something that I enjoy. And the game of this needs to be that like, I could walk away from this business at any time if I want to take a break for two or three months. And I want this to be able to grow instead of shrink. That's, that's the situation that I'd like to be setting up. So that has just like really clarified and solidified for me that that's the best direction to be growing in. And specifically, a very good next step for that would be hiring people to help me automate more of the systems around customer support. So here's my plan. I've been talking a lot about having a personal assistant. I think task number one for this personal assistant, along with all of this fun stuff I wanna do of like help me automate more things in my life, is I would like this person who's gonna be like a more expensive person, this is gonna be like 30 or $40 an hour uh, based in the US, uh, I would like their help to come up with uh, standard operating procedures, SOPs, 
for each type of customer support email. So that's gonna be very high touch for me. That's gonna be me working directly with them. They're going through the inbox and they're like, okay, here's an email. It says that this person wants a refund. What do you wanna do? And I say, anytime anyone asks you for a refund, you say yes. And here's how you do it. You go to their page. Here's how you find their page. And you click this button and then you send an email back to them that says this. Now write that down in a way that someone from the Philippines could understand and execute perfectly. Uh, and then never ask me about that again. And I'm gonna go through that. And there's probably only 20 different types of those things, if that. Uh, and like, you know, here are the rare circumstances. If, if you go through all these SOPs and you can't find one, then assistant in the Philippines, you bubble that question up to my personal assistant. And then most of those will get bounced back. And if it bubbles up to my personal assistant and my personal assistant doesn't know what to do, then she bubbles it up to me. And now those emails are getting done and I'm only getting, you know, one one thousandth of what I was getting before. Uh, the services I'm using to do those are, well, I, I don't know that I'm, that this is who I'm going to go with yet, but th this is, uh, I think how it's going to work out. There's a company called Go Squared Away. Well, the, the website is Go Squared Away. Uh, it's Military Spouses. Uh, one of our listeners, and I'm terribly sorry if you are the listener who gave me this. I have lost track of the tweet uh, where you sent this to me. Uh, but thank you, listeners in general, for sending cool stuff. Uh, from our conversation about, like, the person I was looking for was a teacher. They were yeah. like, oh, this is a company built for you. This is military spouses. It's, like, almost exactly the, the persona that you said. Uh, this is a type of person who, like, is probably very well qualified. Uh, that just because of their living situation, they're usually moving around a bunch because their spouse is in the military, uh, need something they can do that's flexible and remote. Uh, perfect. So I have a call with them tomorrow, and this is the pitch I'm going to give them. Is like, you know, this, this is one of the main primary tasks for right now, and then also I have a bunch of other uh, more fun stuff for them to do. And then once I have those SOPs, I think I'm going to hire a company called Support Shepherd, where it's an uh, agency in the Philippines, and I think it's in the neighborhood of $600 a month, uh, I have two different friends who have hired and support people from uh, this company. And the feedback I'm getting is like, it's great. Uh, they, you know, don't, don't expect them to be able to do creative stuff, but you know, they're humans and they're intelligent and they're in the Philippines. So the working hours uh, roughly overlap, which is going to be great for customers to file inbox. Like they're going to be able to get a response in, hours instead of never uh which <laughs> is uh an infinite improvement i think if i'm uh, doing the math correctly either infinite or undefined uh so yeah uh this this seems like a good bet um bringing this home this feels like it might have been the the mental limit for me of like fully taking software as a service seriously if i can solve this problem SaaS would feel so much more scalable to me because I, I I wouldn't be fearful of growing and then getting overwhelmed in support tickets. Um, as having a, an automated machine that could churn through them. Um, and that feels really good because I think I would much rather have a software as a service business that was making $20,000 a month than a real estate portfolio that was making that much money because that feels like it would be so much more of a headache or a fleet of Teslas that was making it that much per month. Like given my choice of places to be putting money to be getting that cash flow, like it seems obvious that the best thing for me to do is to be doing that with software. Uh, what are your thoughts on all that? This, 
feel like I've uh, sort of wrapped it up in a nice tidy bow for myself of uh, being able to, to think about this all holistically. And a lot of this probably seems very obvious. Like, yes, of course, Christian, you, you should be hiring people to do customer support. But uh, I think I, I needed to have uh, several realizations to, to make that like make sense for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you said a bunch of stuff it's, and it's, it's obvious to someone looking in, but yeah, you definitely have to have the realizations yourself before you can do it. Um, so yeah, uh, a few of the things you said were like software as a service is fantastic compared to other things. That's absolutely true. Uh, when my wife and I were both working and had no kids, I looked at, you know, maybe putting some of our extra income towards real estate or something like that. And there's a fly in my room. And so that's getting, okay. And so, um, but every calculation I did was like software is just way more, uh, like it's infinitely scalable compared to real estate or any other asset class. And so it's just, just fundamentally a different thing. Um, I, I absolutely agree with all your reasoning. I think it's great to hire someone. I thought of something you, you didn't mention, which was like, if you ever want to sell file inbox, the more automated it is completely, the higher price you'll get. And so you may be like paying someone 30 bucks an hour say, but if you do that and then sell it, like their time is worth, you know, like double that times 12 times your multiple, you know, which is mm. five or six or 10 or something. And so, um, for every hour they put in to make it, to make these standard operating procedures, it's probably like a thousand dollars to add it to the valuation or something like that. Um, and so it is absolutely worth your time to make standard operating procedures if you ever want to even think about selling it. Um, so it's a whole another aspect. Uh, and, and yeah, like if you, ha- if you, if you get to a point where answering support, which is your bottleneck right now, or at least you feel like it is, is solvable by spending money, then yeah, you can start another SaaS. You can do, you know, whatever you want without the fear of the support, which is kind of what I fear with meeting, um, meeting place. Um, mm. cause I'm getting support tickets. Right. And, it's not enough that I can hire someone, but if it was, and I knew how to do that, then that would just get me over that bottleneck even faster, I think. So yeah, I agree with all, all the stuff you're saying. Um, I think it's great. Several follow-ups to what you said, uh, that the element of software that it's infinitely scalable is not something that I think I appreciated until I started thinking more seriously about these other types of businesses like real estate and cars, because in mentally simulating like, okay, what if this is really successful and I want to just like do this as much as possible? What if I wanted to have a hundred cars? Now I have to solve so many problems of like, my gosh, I'm going to have to like buy a parking lot <laughs> and I'm going to have to like hire several different people and I'm going to have to like be thinking about having enough water to wash all these cars and geez, the not parts just, not- to be buying and not just that, but what's the what's the rental limit in your area for a hundred different cars? Like you can yeah, only rent what, cars in your area. Yeah. yeah. Do I need to now be spreading to different cities? Uh, yeah. And now, what's that going to look like? Am I going to have to split myself and my attention between several different cities? Like, that's a that's a very different problem than I wake up one morning and just see on my dashboard like, oh, I have a thousand times more people using this than yesterday, and oh, all of my serverless functions just spun up more. And I got charged a thousand times more, but also I'm making a thousand times more money. Huh? Cool. Can I do that again? Right. Like literally, that's all that would happen. Uh, and maybe with this extra element of uh, customer support tickets, as long as I have SOPs, okay. Well, maybe another scalable element of that is oh, let me okay, customer support emails. I have a metric on that of like how quickly does it take to answer a ticket. Oh, that just went up by a thousand percent. What do I do now? 
I hire a thousand more people on Support Shepherd, and now I'm done, and I have a standard way that they get trained. Like, great. That's that's the one part of this that was difficult to scale that needed humans. Uh, this feels like the one thing that can be plugged in that wouldn't make that part of it scalable. Um, yeah, so that's the infinite scalability of software is, I feel like I'm finally grasping what that actually means and, and why that's a big deal. Uh, it's really cool. Software is great. <laughs> We're doing cool <laughs> stuff. Um, and it's, it's especially important, I think, because I've been trying to think about like what, what, in building my wealth and, and in trying to think about how I'm going to acquire more assets of um, part of why I've been trying to feel out all these different asset classes and, and things. One of the things that we talked about before on the show was like buying other smaller SASs. Uh, mm. And if I can figure this out of how to do this once for one SAS, if I'm itching to like spend money to be making more money, okay, well maybe the play then is I, this is something that like every technical founder and software I've talked to has trouble with. If I can figure this out, I could then be picking up businesses left and right from founders who like really love the technical aspect of it and have hit some product market fit and it's not making enough money that they can be doing it full time. Uh, so they're just kind of over it. And also they're probably feeling a lot of the same feelings I've been feeling about file inbox. That was a lot of the word feeling in uh, the same sentence. <laughs> uh, where they feel anxious about uh, doing the customer support email. So like, that would be a great acquisition for me to make then. If I can spend a few thousand dollars and then just run them through my standard procedure of like, let's automate support and then throw it into my pool of support shepherd people. Well, okay, now I would sort of feel like I could be running 10 of these. Uh, I'd have to be thinking more about the bottleneck of than like doing technical support on these would be interesting that you know if i'm doing 10 of them then that that might start to make sense of uh when i would be hiring developers um well, well especially, especially because if you say you buy a SaaS for 20k and you yeah. put it through your support shepherd like support infrastructure and by the time you get out you have a sort of fully fully um automated SaaS. you could probably yeah. sell that for 100k instead of 20k and Ooh. so like yeah, 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 you do a couple of those a year, and that's your salary, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a strong play. That's not something I thought about before. I like your framing of if I'm if I'm designing this business to sell it, that also makes it better for me. That's yes. Right. Uh, I had a very similar thought recently uh, when uh, I I got back from New York, uh, having just been in this like pristine, nice and clean Tesla, and then I got back home and uh, was thinking about. You know, experimenting with Turo, and I got in my Honda and just realized, oh my gosh, this is filthy. This, this car hasn't been cleaned in years. Uh, I would have to clean this out before I rented it out on Turo to experiment with running cars on a Turo. Uh, but also, it would make it nicer for me. Like, right, I yeah. would be in a nice clean car, and uh, I think I would enjoy that more. So it's uh, same same sort of thing. I would like to, I would like to uh, metaphorically. Uh, get some detailing on my business. Clean up your uh, sass, yeah. Clean up my sass. Oh, that'd be a cool title. Uh, yeah. I think that's all I got. That's all I got too. Then I will see you next week. Goodbye. All right.